the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast, where the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today we are feeling ultra-patriotic, because this episode is dropping on July 4th. So, we are going to be doing a full breakdown of the 1996 film Independence Day. We are going to be reviewing The Greatest American Hero, and we are going to do our own new casting of Independence Day. That's pretty awesome. Happy birthday, America. <laughs> yeah, badass. Uh, super cool. So, yeah, we kind of saw that just how, how it landed, so we thought it made sense to do Independence Day. I mean, why not? Yeah. So. All right, this film, 1996, John. Uh, I don't think we've done that year in a hot minute, so uh, what else has happened? I know we've done one recently, because as I was looking through our stuff, I saw things that I know I'd mentioned mm. sometime recently. So we there was another 96 movie that we've done recently. I was just too lazy to look it up. But anyway, <laughs> this movie... Uh, Lone Star. I just looked, I had the, I okay. had the sheet in front of us, so... <laughs> uh, this movie was released on July... Third, nineteen ninety six. Just in time for Independence Day. Yeah. And I know this is the other thing is that I remembered was that the Billboard Top One Hundred single of that week was "The Crossroads" by Bone Thugs and Harmony. Yeah, I do remember us talking about that. Wow, so that means Lone Star must have released at a similar time as well, even. I looked on there, and Crossroads was on the billboard for a good number of weeks. Not like a okay. huge number of weeks, but a good number. So it 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 was it fell in a pretty wide spectrum. Um, no surprise, topping the Nielsen ratings was Seinfeld. Seinfeld, yeah. Uh, and uh, the New York Times bestseller was one that I also believe we talked about then, which is The Runaway Jury by John Grisham. Yep, I think we did. Uh, but this one, I think, was different. Um, at this point, in video games, people were probably playing Super Mario 64. Okay, that was a big one. Yeah. A uh, big release. Any big Mario ones tended to be big, especially back then. Yep. And the 64 was such a great console. Uh, well, I, I, the, I didn't really have one, and I don't know if I ever played with anyone who had Okay. One other than playing Goldeneye. Yeah, I definitely a uh, good buddy of mine, Ray. If he's listening, he uh, he had the N sixty four. So we went over. We played Goldeneye. Gauntlet Legends was the one that we played quite a bit of as well. I mean, mm. plenty of good stuff. So and uh, kind of a fun fact, uh, Adam. Do you remember uh, a show called the Dana Carvey Show? I do. I mean, I I, I remember that it existed. I don't right. really remember the show. It only existed for seven episodes. Mm. That is it. However, this was part of the writing team. Louis C.K., Stephen Colbert, Steve Carell, Bob Odenkirk, Charlie Kaufman, who did uh, Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind, uh-huh. uh, Robert Smigel. Oh, geez. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the SNL guys. Yeah. Uh, and then a few others in that. But like, those, were, those are some big name 
yeah. uh, comedy people, and the show it's, only you know aired for seven episodes. I can't imagine it was really that bad. Yeah, it's hard to think of it uh, failing with those names. I mean, maybe maybe they're a little too ahead of their time or something. I don't know. That's possible. Yeah. But that was 1996. All right. It is time to wave your flags proudly because it is Independence Day. All right, Independence Day from 1996. It was written by Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin. Uh, Emmerich also directed, or Ev- Emmerich and Devlin worked on things like uh, 2012, the disaster movie, 10,000 BC, um, Matthew Broderick's Godzilla, Stargate, and the sequel, Resurgence. Mm-hmm. And then also Emmerich also directed things like, he directed most all those that I mentioned, uh, as well as The Patriot and Universal Soldier. And kind of speaking of Independence Day Resurgence, one thing we're going to be doing for our Patreon-exclusive episode this month, we are going to be doing our own review of Independence Day Resurgence. So that one came out much more recent. I think it was 2016 when that one was released. Sounds about right. Yeah. So, you know, as we've kind of been shifting our sequels into our Patreon-exclusive stuff, we are going to be doing, yeah, talking Independence Day, Independence Day Resurgence, which is kind of cool because I have not seen that yet, but you did go see that in the theater. So I you kind of know you know what's uh, what's coming up for us, and I don't. So I'm very curious to see if it held up, if it was good 20 years later, uh, making a, you know, usually usually those sequels that they wait 20 years to, <laughs> to hit up again have some issues, but maybe, I don't know, maybe it's solid. I'll have to find out. You, and you'll have to find out by joining our Patreon and checking that out. Yep. All right. Music in this film was done by David Arnold. Uh, he's done a bunch of Bond movies, including Casino Royale, World Is Not Enough, Tomorrow Never Dies, Quantum of Solace, uh, Die Another Day. He also did music for Stargate, Zoolander, Too Fast, Too Furious, Godzilla, bunch of stuff. The cast for this movie, Captain Stephen Hiller is Will Smith. Uh, this was one of his earlier action movies, but not his first. He actually had Bad Boys before this one, so he was kind of establishing himself as an action lead. Yeah, I would say this was the first one. This was the first big one to put him on the map, though. Yeah, I mean, Bad Boys was what did not have the huge factor that Independence Day had, um, but it was you know it was a pretty big you know Michael Bay produced film. But this one is the one that I would agree put him on the film map as a yeah. as a bona fide star. I mean, this was the biggest grossing movie of 1996. Yes, it was. So, it grossed in total 817 million dollars in the box office. It actually, you know, it was the biggest of that year, and when it came out, it became the second highest grossing film ever, only behind Jurassic Park. Oh, wow. So, it, it this was a, a big impactful film in the uh, box office. Mhm. And the budget was uh, $75 million, so massive return on investment there. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, the President Whitmore is played by Bill Pullman. We've talked about him many times. Don't really need to mention all the things he's been in. David Levison is played by Jeff Goldblum. Jurassic Park, a bunch, bunch of other stuff, too. You all know Jeff Goldblum. Julius Levison plays his father. Uh, it's, Julius Levison is the character who is David's <laughs> father. My bad. Uh, played by Judd Hirsch. Most people would recognize him from the show Taxi. Yeah. I think uh, he was also in A Beautiful Mind and plenty of other stuff. Russell is played by Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid is forever tied into either this movie or Shitter's Full from Vacation, I feel. Yeah. (laughs) 
And then I think Randy Quaid just kind of went off the deep end, and he's kind of known for just being crazy dude. Yeah, I don't know what happened to him. Yeah, he got very, uh, surprisingly, I think he's a lot more like this character. He's got very, <laughs> like, uh, conspiracy theories, and, like, he's got this kind of wild beard now, and he's just, he went went a little off the deep end. Wait, so. Somebody needs to call Dennis and tell him to yeah. wrangle in his brother. Yeah. Jasmine is played by Vivica A. Fox, and I think our generation of people would recognize her best from the Kill Bill yeah. movie, uh, Kill Bill 1, I think she was in, and then Constance Spano, who I want to mention, played by Margaret Collins. She's been in Unfaithful, uh, that Richard Gere movie. She was in Gossip Girl for quite a few episodes. Lots of smaller parts. All right. Uh, anything else we need to mention before we jump into this blockbuster of a film? I don't think so. I got my sparklers and my uh, fireworks ready. <laughs> And I got my American bourbon whiskey with me, so we're good to go, baby. America. All right, we start <laughs> off. You just made me think of a line from How I Met Your Mother when he, when Barney accidentally drinks Canadian whiskey. He goes, no, bring me scotch. American scotch <laughs> from Scotland. All right. All right, so for Independence Day, we start off on the moon. And we kind of see the flag and footprints, all that good stuff. And we see a ship uh, passes over above the moon, headed towards Earth. We cut to New Mexico, and there's, like, this space monitoring place or whatnot. They're getting this, this signal from aliens. Uh, the main guy is played by Eric Avari, who we've actually talked about in the movie The Mummy. For some reason, his role wasn't credited. He was in huh. the uncredited parts of this film, which I thought was kind of strange because he's a big, I mean, not, I mean, not like a massive name actor, but for character actors, he's a solid name character actor. I don't, yeah, I don't know what to say. Um, but the, so the signal is coming from around the moon, you know, way closer than they expected. I have immediately, I'm just going to mention this now so I don't have to bitch about it later. <laughs> so this big ass object is already at the moon. And yes, they're just now getting some like other radar, you know, the military's learning about them through radar and other stuff like that. But do people know that tel- telescopes exist? And you could actually see the moon pretty clearly and have anything that big and is they said a third the size of the moon. Mm-hmm. And if it's at the moon and it's a third the size of the moon, you're going to fucking see that hell with a naked eye. <laughs> Why the fuck is it now just being recognized? Okay, I'm going to offer you two explanations. Okay, please. Uh, one, the aliens are that good at hiding. Okay. You know, this is obviously not the first planet they've done this to. So yeah, they're, they recognize the technology and how to do it. Hide and seek is like their top game. Yeah. That they oh, they're play. the best. <laughs> Two, if you remember in the uh, in the movie Armageddon, I believe Billy Bob Thornton goes, sorry, sir, our budget for watching for asteroids is such and such, which covers about 18% of the sky, and it's a big-ass sky. <laughs> okay. So, All right. I mean, sure. Because <laughs> telescopes only, you know, when you zoom in, you're only focusing on a small portion of what is True. fairly a big-ass sky. I guess so. All right. You hate it when I use logic against you, don't well, you? Well, I mean, it's 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 part of our dynamic, <laughs> and, I, and I don't. I'm not sure I agree with your logic on this part, but it is. I go with the crazy. You know, not with the crazy, but you try to you try to wrangle me back with the logic, and sometimes it works. And I'm trying to be wrangled. I'll say. I'm pretty that? sure I heard somewhere that at any given time, there's only seven people in the world who are looking for things in space that could run into Earth. Oh, okay. That's it. Interesting. Seven. Yeah. I'll still throw out the naked eye thing. Like, so many people fucking look at the moon. How about that? Like, every night. But anyway. <laughs> so anyway, all right. Everybody knows, or like, the military knows about this shit and all that whatnot now. Um, we also see the president. We meet uh, him. We see him in the first lady. She's, you know, elsewhere. She's, like, doing some 
talk or something out in L.A. area. Uh, we meet their daughter, played by Mae Whitman, who most people should recognize from Arrested Development. She plays um, Michael Sarah's girlfriend, uh, who is very bland in that movie. She's also in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, mm-hmm. uh, one of the seven evil exes. And uh, we find out that his that the president's approval ratings aren't that great right now. He was apparently a military guy. He was actually a fighter pilot back in the day. Um, and they thought they were getting like this, you know, war buff dude. And he's apparently, you know, very pansy as a diplomat kind of thing. Mm. Uh, we also meet his communications advisor, who is uh, Constance. We'll find out later more about her. The president gets a call about the whole situation. Okay, so now pretty much everyone is informed. We cut to a park, and we meet David and his dad, Julius. They're playing chess. I really like the relationship I do too. between David and Julius. Yeah, it fits really well. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, um, yeah, Judd, uh, Hirsch. Judd Hirsch does a really good job of just playing like kind of like almost like a slightly overbearing Jewish father kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but, but it's not like, you know, it annoys David too much. He just kind of takes it with a nice grain of salt and... You know, it's just, I don't know, they, they they pair very well together to me. Yeah, I agree. I, I think this was really, really smart casting on their part. Yep. Uh, David goes into work. Shit's just going haywire. He works at, like, he's a, he's a satellite technician. Everything's going crazy. Uh, we meet another guy who works there, Marty, who is played by Harvey Firestein, another awesome character actor. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, y- you love this guy anytime he shows up. A completely unique voice. David, David, what the hell's the point of having a beep if you're not going to turn it on? Most people would probably remember him from uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He played uh, Robin Williams' brother, Mrs. Doubtfire, and that kind of crazy. Oh, honey, I'm so happy. Yeah, and also, if anybody doesn't uh, doesn't know, he was also in um, Debt to Smoochie, also with Robin Williams. So Mm. I guess they, they probably partnered on multiple things. Yeah. So. Death to, Death to Smoochie is a movie that I, I highly recommend. I love it, but it's a very intense, it's a dark humor kind of film. I have never seen it. Oh, uh, maybe I'll throw it on. Actually, I can't remember when it came out, so. <laughs> All right, we then meet Russell, who, uh, and and meet Russell's family. Uh, so he is a crop duster. He is also a complete lush and <laughs> uh, just massive alcoholic and a bad father to boot, assuming so because of his alcoholism. So uh, we see the big ship. The mothership sends out some smaller drones ship, smaller drone kind of ships, and we they look small for now, but they're not small. We will find out <laughs> later that they're like 15 kilometers wide. Yeah. That's pretty damn big. That's like six miles or something. I think it was 15 miles wide. Maybe. You know, I feel like I heard both. Maybe they had okay. these consistencies. But like, yeah, so maybe you're right. I think I do think I hear I heard 15 miles at some point, um, which is pretty freaking massive. Yeah. 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 And actually... 15 kilometers is nine miles doing off my head. It's like nine, 9.3 miles. I mean, that's still, that's still pretty damn big. Yeah. So let's say anywhere between 10 to 15 miles wide. That's sure. Fucking massive. So, all right. At, at the white house, the president's trying to figure things out. He's got his different military advisors. The smaller ships are all coming. We see that they're, uh, they have this really cool looking visual effect of them kind of Busting through the atmosphere up high. They just look like storms right now. Yeah. I love that look. They're in different places. They're ones coming through Iraq. They're coming through just different sections, different parts of the world. Uh, David finds uh, something in the signal from the satellite. So he's kind of in his own satellite that that he works on. He noticed something in there that doesn't seem right. It's something from the alien kind of thing. It just seems strange. Uh, We see some more shit about Russell. Uh, at a diner, you know, he's just the lo- local Lush in town. Everybody's making fun of him. We find out 
He believes he was abducted by aliens years ago. These other guys really make fun of him for that. Hey, Russ, I heard you had a little trouble this morning. Dusted the wrong field. <laughs> well, I know you're probably still a little confused from your hostage experience. Hostage experience? Did something happen to you, Russ? Oh, yeah. Seems years <laughs> back, our boy here was kidnapped by aliens. Did all kind of experiments on him and such. Tell him about it, Russ. Get a couple beers in him, he'll tell you all about it. Crazy stuff. Don't you, Russ? <laughs> Russ, when they took you up in their spaceship, did they do any you know, sexual things to <laughs> recall, you recollect? Then in comes one of the ships in, their, in that area, I guess, because they're, I think, around the LA. They have to be around the LA area because the US ones were in New York, Washington, and LA. Yeah. Plus, I'm pretty sure, like, they drive to later, they drive to a marine base that I'm pretty sure is in California. Yeah, El Toro. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah, that's, that's in, in California. It's in Los Angeles area. Yeah, so definitely. So, all right, we then very briefly meet Captain Hiller and Jasmine. They're just kind of waking up late. Her son, very briefly. Uh, that son is played by Ross Bagley. People might remember him from Little Rascals, or what I remember him most from. He was in Fresh Prince of Bel Air. He played Nikki, who was actually like kind of like the late addition to oh. the family. <laughs> that uh, you know, when Uncle Phil and Aunt Viv had like a late. Baby, like in every sitcom, there's like a <laughs> another baby, like three or four seasons in, and and Nikki was that. When the when the the protagonists are way too old to be having another kid. Yeah, one hundred percent. So, uh, the ships then kind of reveal themselves through the clouds and through like that storm looking thing. Everyone's of course freaked out. There's mass hysteria. Uh, David realizes that the signal is theirs. Uh, we one of those big ships stops right by right in on top of the. Uh, Empire State Building, basically, mm-hmm. just centered under that. Another at the White House, and then another, you know, in the L.A. area. Actually stopping at this um, big bank building, the U.S. Bank Tower or whatever it's called. I can't remember. Captain Hiller wakes up, and this is a good little scene. Everybody, he just thinks it was an earthquake that they had last the other night. And he just thinks, like, okay, all of the uh, neighbors are moving. They're getting out. He walks out to get the paper, looks around, and everyone's just fucking in panic basically and getting their shit trying to get out of there. And then he finally looks up and it's holy shit. That's a big fucking ship just (laughs) floating above Los Angeles area. Uh, We cut to Marty is uh, freaking out. You know, he's just not sure what to do. I love it. He's, he's like trying to figure out, you know, he's got to call his mom. He's talking to his mom on the phone right now. And Ma, listen, uh, get your stuff together and uh, head for Anastasia. Don't argue with me, just go! David, why did I just send my mother to Atlanta? He's such a great, I don't know, his character is a lot of fun because he's just panicking around, but he just does it in such a, just a silly-ish way that you kind of endearing as well. Yeah. And then David reveals that, the, that his signal, it's uh, basically counting down to something. He's not sure what, but they're, it's counting down to something, which he would make the assumption they're strategic, strategically positioning themselves for an attack. That has to be what this countdown is. What else would it be? They're not going to do some countdown to a big hug or something. <laughs> you know, that's just stupid. I mean, that's so, what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm coming in. <laughs> Three, two. <laughs> nice. But I love Harry Firestein's, uh, Marty's line here. He's just like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my god, I gotta call my brother. I better call my housekeeper. I gotta call my lawyer. Uh, forget my lawyer. Forget my lawyer. <laughs> I can't just there's a lot of good lines in this movie. Yeah. There really are. So a lot of stuff that I think got quoted quite a bit after the film. 
All right, we then kind of find out Constance, who is the communications director for the president, and David were married at one point. So now they are uh, divorced and estranged or whatnot. Um, he tries to warn her, but she doesn't listen. So he's got to try and you know figure out how to con- how to warn her again because he's worried about them obviously being in uh, the D.C. area. Hiller is a pilot in the Marines, and so he's got to go. And Jasmine, of course, doesn't want him to leave because she's worried about him. But you know he's got to answer the call of duty. All right, David gets his father and heads towards Washington, which is a four plus hour drive. Oh, just as a heads up, I did. I looked. I went on to maps. Uh, to Google Maps, and I was like, okay, like even without traffic, it's a f- like probably four to four and a half hour drive. So it's just like, okay, he's he knows that the clock is ticking, and there's only probably like five hours or so on his little thing here. And instead of just continuing to call or figuring out, you know, to get a hold of her, what he does later, <laughs> uh, you know, do that just where you're at, and like really. See if you can get those five hours or those extra four hours that you did driving or, you know, to save some lives. I don't know. Just me. Yeah. D.C. and Washington are not like right next to each other. Yeah. New York and Washington are not like right next to each other. The first lady is still in L.A. while the president is Washington. So he's obviously worried about that. We see Russell uh, was arrested quickly by the aliens just on a TV uh, news network. I thought that was funny. God, he just seems so crazy. years ago they did all kinds of experiments on me they've been studying us for years finding out our weaknesses we've got to stop them they're gonna kill us all and it's just it's humorous just seeing how perfect it's maybe not strange how perfect randy quaid played that character it just yeah. <laughs> it seems quite fitting you just feel you kind of feel bad for his poor kids i'm not gonna lie he's got three i think three kids and you just like every time he's on screen i'm like <sighs> speaking of uh mrs doubtfire oh that's right uh, one of them uh, was played, but one of the kids was played by Lisa Jacob, who played one of the kids in Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes, that's right. She was uh, the oldest daughter mm-hmm. in um, in Mrs. Doubtfire. So yeah, yeah, very cool. I actually looked up her credits to see what else she had done. She stopped acting in two thousand. Yeah. So she didn't. She didn't uh, keep going. She must have like you know probably went off to college or something, um, and just kind of decided to live a more normal life. Yeah, I get that. So, but what I do appreciate is. Uh, he actually was out, and <laughs> the, the uh, son's like, whoa, they let you out? He's like, yeah, they got better better things to do or bigger fish to, fish to fry right now. So Stephen Hiller, he gets to the base. We meet his buddy Jimmy, played by Harry Connick Jr. Uh, we also find out that uh, Hiller was rejected from NASA, just a small little thing. He really wants to go to space and be a uh, NASA pilot. Uh, we also find out that Hiller is going to propose in a pretty funny scene here where Jimmy finds the ring, and he is a... Uh, you know, kind of down on one knee, just kind of making fun of stuff. And then he holds up the ring and another guy sees him. So eh, it's just kind of humorous. Also mentions that, you know, hey, NASA's never going to pick you if you're if you if you marry a stripper. And then, <laughs> oh, OK, we find out that uh, that Jasmine is a stripper and we cut to uh, her stripping and no one is paying attention because they're all exactly. They are all just watching the news right now, which. It's funny that she would even go into work. Right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why any place right now would actually be doing it. Maybe they would think, hey, it's the end of the world. Everyone's going to spend their money on strippers. But, um, yeah, but if it's but, the end of the world, what are they going to spend their other people's money on when there's nothing left? True. The um, economy would collapse and the dollar <laughs> would become nothing and it would become kind of like an old school barter system probably, uh, what, which we would fall back into. Yes. So true. 
We do meet one of their one of the other strippers, who's played by Kirsten Warren. Um, I remember her from Saved by the Bell, the college years. Did you ever watch that show? Not really. Okay. Yeah, I think I remember you saying that when we talked Saved by the Bell. But yeah, she was she was kind of like the quirky, very the very quirky one, I would say, in that movie okay. or in that in the, that show. So David and his dad get to the White House, as I said, four hours later, <laughs> and uh, he hacks into the. the cell phone thing and gets her number and ends up calling Constance just to get her attention. We uh, also find out, so he gets in, he talks with her, find out that David and the president don't like each other. They had some history. They got into a fight before he was the president. Yes. So he punched him. Uh, So David does talk to the president, tells him about the countdown, about, oh shit, something's coming. And so now... Uh, you know, they only got about 30 minutes left, so the, so the president orders swift evacuation. 30 minutes is not much time to get out of a big-ass city no. like D.C. So uh, the Air Force sends a helicopter as a peace greeting, kind of a <laughs> communication idea. Actually, John, a funny little thing. When they were testing, they were doing a test version of that for the film. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, like, 911 got almost 20 different calls from people about a UFO sighting, but it was them testing out that exact, that thing for this kind of scene for an upcoming scene. So um, just kind of funny that that, how that worked that way. But anyway, the aliens don't seem to take the peace offering and they blow that shit up. Yeah. <laughs> was They're like, ah, oh, they don't have enough time to respond. Let's just blow it up now. Yep. So uh, of course the president and everyone is <laughs> trying to evacuate the first, the first lady in LA is trying to get out. We see that the big ship in L.A. is opening up. Uh, that one stripper the, from Saved by the Bell, the college years, is there. And they're all, there's a whole kind of hippie contingency that's they want to be abducted and they want to you know meet the aliens and all this kind of shit. They get their ass blowed up, John. It's, it's <laughs> nice. This beam of light goes down onto that big ass, like the U.S. bank tower, and just wipes them clean. And it's kind of fun. Does it? seem weird that I was kind of rooting for the aliens at that just that moment when I was like it was funny to see him die <laughs> I was just about to ask you if as a former uh Los Angelino uh, if you enjoyed watching your former city be destroyed I mean I still have a love for Los Angeles but just like those hippy dippy people and I just want to be like really like be safe what the fuck are you doing like th- this thing is obviously not some you know, big beam of light that they're going to beam you up and, you know, we're all going to be friends. Mm -hmm. They would have come, they would have come there and come out with open arms. They would not have come out there in these fortified things uh, and waited for a strategic thing or for a strategic attack. Some people, you know, they're just idiots. (laughs) And it's kind of funny to watch them explode. Fair enough. Uh, I do kind of like the line, though, where that one stripper is like, oh, it's beautiful. And then (laughs) light them up. Boom. (laughs) So another ship destroys the Empire State Building, and another destroys the White House. And the special effects, especially just the use of miniatures, mm. uh, decent use of CGI, and the, the good practical explosion effects, um, it all led to this film winning the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. Yeah. And I think, I mean, at this point, yeah, I can usually tell if I'm watching, you know, if I can tell what a miniature is. Mm-hmm. I still think they're pretty decent effects. I think they still hold up well enough. I agree. And, you know, we've really gone away from use of practical effects in film. And some now some directors very notably still use practical effects. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of the, I think, um, 
uh, Mission Impossible films and even some of the Bond films try to stick to quite a bit of practical stuff. But miniatures do look pretty damn good because it's real. I mean, you're, you're filming a real thing. And so I think it's pretty nice, you know, when you can really do that and not rely 100% on CGI because, you know, CGI is, is good, but unless you're using like really good team of CGI people, like bad CGI or a CGI that is just slightly off enough, mm -hmm. like immediately you're just like, you dismiss it yeah, because it's like, well, that's shitty fake. And surprisingly though, speaking of CGI, with the, with regards to the airplanes in this movie, the only real airplane that was used was the crop duster. Oh, okay. Everything else. Was All the other miniature? ones is either CG or a model. Oh, okay. Yeah, because you definitely. I mean, you see plenty of jets, like yeah. F-16s or whatever F-14s. Um, there's like yeah, Air Force One and other ones around that. Okay. Well, we see just mass destruction. Harvey Firestein is definitely dead. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jasmine runs with her son and she's running down this tunnel, big ass tunnel, and luckily finds a maintenance closet to hide in. And even the dog makes it in. And I, I do, I do not like this scene because it's so kind of ridiculous. It is a bit much. Let the dog die. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's like, it's, it got too cheesy, but also the way fire works. <laughs> tell us Adam, tell, tell us how fire works. I'm just saying, I mean, I'm not a massive pyro, but I'm kind of a pyro. Uh, but, like, you know, it will go into the areas where there is oxygen. Fire doesn't just necessarily explosions kind of emanate out and they kind of, they, they suck up air and whatnot and they expand. But, like, the way they had this fire, it was just going straight down the tunnel. And you're going to tell me that it didn't, like, engulf inside that one maintenance closet? They didn't even shut the door. Like... <laughs> The door was wide open, and then the explosion just went went right past him as if it was like a fucking train and not going into that little closet. I thought that was just a little off, but yeah. I get it for the drama. So so these cities have been left in shambles. We even see the Statue of Liberty fallen over, busted. Um, just It kind of hurts your American heart, you know? The president's upset because he feels he should have evacuated people earlier. If David would have kept calling, maybe... <laughs> Instead of driving for four hours. Instead of driving for four hours. Maybe call 911. Maybe call other stuff. I don't know. Uh, probably 911 is probably blocked up, so fair enough. So we also get some backstory. Again, I already mentioned he was a former fighter pilot during the Gulf War. So, all right. Amidst the L.A. destruction, Jasmine and her son and the dog survived. We see Hiller and Jimmy. Uh, they're just, they're very cute in the briefing room as they're trying to get ready to plan their, or, you know, as the... Uh, armed forces are planning their attack. Attack. I, I do like their relationship as well. The little Harry Connick Jr. Hold me, and just like they're <laughs> they're bros. Yeah. They are cute bros. You yeah. know, you got to appreciate that. Uh, so, with the American forces are going to launch a counterattack. I like Harry Connick Jr.'s line: Let's "Kick the tires and light the fires, Big Daddy." Just I don't know. It's like, it's like they're trying to call back to Top Gun yeah. kind of little comments, you know? Yeah. And they even have a little ritual where they have to have cigars and they will light up when the mission is done. Because Hiller is kind of a superstitious guy, at least when he comes to, um, you know, doing his missions. All right. So the Air Force goes up and they fire on the big ship. Well, I guess he's, he's a Marine pilot, but I, I just say Air Force because it's a big fuck ton of fighter jets. They fire on the big ship, but those ships have shields. 
And no, nothing can penetrate them. We also see that the smaller there's attack from smaller ships, and they also have shields, and they enter a whole dogfight. Um, I do like, you gotta love these quick little lines. Oh no, you did not shoot that green shit at me. Oh no, you did not shoot that green shit at me. Just <laughs> funny little, yeah. little moments. This movie, I think, does a really good job of, I don't know, setting up that blockbuster style that's a lot of action, just the right amount of comedy. It's kind of like that, um, I mean, what we see today, the formula that, that Marvel uses. A lot of quick editing, but good action. Get the story, get moving, and make sure you add in just enough humor to keep things, you know, decent. Yeah. So they have this air fight, or this. so they have this dogfight in the air, and Hiller and Jimmy are trying to retreat, but these two alien ships come after them. Uh, one of the ships does end up getting Jimmy, and so he's dead. Uh, Hiller has to take on both of them. They gets gets one of them to crash in these kind of caverns or this, you know, maybe it's the Grand Canyon for all I know, mm-hmm. but some canyon system. And he has to use his jet's parachute to block, to kind of block the visual of the other. And they kind of run into the side of the wall and kind of bounce and skid to a stop. He uh, lands incredibly hard from his parachute how he wouldn't have broken both legs. Yeah. I mean, the, just, just the speed. It was obviously a dummy that they used, but like the speed and even the sound effect that they use, it's just like, oh, damn. Like that would have <laughs> absolutely crushed you. <laughs> but he goes over to the ship yelling at it. Just again, awesome humor here. He opens up the ship. You see these weird tentacle things kind of flying at you. <laughs> Little strange. He punches the shit out of the alien that kind of comes out. Welcome to Earth. Welcome to Earth. Oh, it's a good line. <laughs> Fuck, that's a... I mean, that's, that is a trailer Papa Boner line that's so good. <laughs> uh, and he then lights up his cigar. And, a, and another good line here. That's what I call a close encounter. Now, that's what I call a close encounter. Yeah. <laughs> So good shit, good lines, good humor. I mean, definitely Will Smith establishing himself as when it comes to action and comedy. Um, he is he's the man right now. Yeah. In 1996. So uh, Jasmine finds a big running truck. And so she's, uh, you know, heading around and trying to, you know, we'll see what she's up to. Uh, David gets airsick on Air Force One. Eh, just kind of funny. It's just a little quirk about him. Uh, we also find out that the aliens took out NORAD. So basically, they are really doing a, an established a strike on Earth about different important places. Uh, the military advisors want the president to use nukes. He's worried about that because, obviously, there's a lot of issues just using nukes. Don't just hurt the thing that you're exploding. It, it's residual radiation for years to come. David is against it and whatnot, and David's father kind of eventually busts in and is like, hey, you know, you guys knew about these people before. What about Area 51? You all knew this. And the president's like, no, no, no. You know, we didn't. There, This wasn't a thing. And then um, this one, the one military advisor guy comes in. Oh, excuse me, Mr. President. That's not entirely accurate. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Jasmine goes around picking up survivors. My question here, again, my logical question mm-hmm. Where is she getting the gas to drive around? I mean, that's a big fucking thing. It's probably diesel. Where is she getting the gas to get this stuff? Because I guarantee you, uh, the credit card systems are probably down right now. No one's manning those pumps. 
And so they, you, they, she wouldn't be able to turn them on. Yeah, but this is 1996, and so this was still possibly around the time that people were able to pump their gas first and then go pay. Okay. They had the, I mean, that was a thing back in the day it, before it was, credit cards and I re- changed that. I remember when I was able to drive, that was still a thing, and that would have been after this movie. Okay. So that's, that's the logic I'm going to use, is that they just take whatever diesel they come across. The one reasonable spees strikes again. <laughs> okay. All right. So Hiller uh, drags the alien in his parachute. Again, just I love his, the way he's talking to himself, you know, just you know, just making fun of the damn thing, just being pissed off at it. I mean, particularly when he turns. And what the hell is that smell? And that was an improv line. Oh, really? Yes, because they filmed that scene at the Bonneville flat, uh, Salt Flats. Yes, you can. I mean, one hundred percent. You can tell that that's the salt flats in Utah. Yeah, uh, which is funny because he was in the Grand Canyon and now he's in Utah. Whatever. We'll, we'll let <laughs> it go. Let it go. But that was improvised because the salt flats stink because these little shrimp live in them and then they die and decompose. Nobody told Will Smith that that was that that that's what was going to happen. So that was a genuine reaction from him. Oh, that's hilarious. I like that a lot. And so, because it's funny, they seem like they even used it later. Uh, because when they're dissecting that one, they mention like a smell, a bad smell as well. So yeah, well, um, they probably yeah. were like, as soon as he he did that, they probably like, oh, we're using this again. This is gold. Yeah. It was. <laughs> so, uh, so as he's walking in the salt flats, this big ass bun- bunch of RVs drive past him, and the one that stops is Russell and his family, and that's cute. So, <laughs> all right. They get her at Area 51. We get a young Jane from Firefly, yeah. Adam Baldwin. He greets them. Uh, so they meet some scientists and one particularly eccentric scientist. And, John, I know you're excited to see this guy. Oh, I'm always excited to see this guy, Brent Spiner. Yeah, data. Data. Right? Or data. It's data. Data. Sorry, not yes, my bad. <laughs> from Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes. Um, so. There's actually an episode in Star Trek where there's a debate about whether it's data or data. <laughs> this guy, he's so funny. If you if you ever, ever get a chance to go see him talk at a comic book convention or, you know, some sort of con, Star or Star Trek, I almost said Star Wars, Star Trek convention, he is always going to be the funniest guy in the room. He is hilarious. Oh, That's awesome. But, uh, yes, yeah, so he plays a very... Very off kind of guy. You see that immediately. You know, he's very separated from the real world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you even see they that. They clearly one. don't let him out much. No, and he even mentions yeah. that. As you can imagine, they they don't let us out much. So he shows them the uh, alien ship that they got back in the 60s. Uh, you know, they see some of the some of the dead aliens that had died during basically the crash back in that time. And they want to find a way to kill them, you know, just trying to learn a little about them. They're actually not too far from us. They're very frail, um, but they have these tech suits and they're just, their tech, their technology is far more advanced than us, obviously with shields and, and yeah. they're wearing these bio exoskeleton suit kind of things. Which so. fun fact about that, that's actually, it was two separate designs that the production designer came to the director or the writer, the director with. He goes, here, I have these two designs for aliens and the director goes, oh, I like them both. So just make that one the alien and make that the, the exosuit. Nice. That's cool. I mean, it's a fun little thing. It's like, you know, okay, you see these aliens, they're big and creepy, but then no, they're a little bit more frail inside, a yeah. little bit, you know, 
But I think. But it's, it would yeah. make sense that they would have the technology for something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Hiller and the caravan get to Area 51 as well. They need clearance to get in there. <laughs> and so uh, Hiller says, uh, you want to see my clearance? I'm sorry, Captain. This is a restricted area. I can't let you pass without clearance. Okay. Come here. You want to see my clearance? <laughs> Maybe I'll just leave this here with you. Let him pass. Let him pass. Get the hell out of the way. That's my damn clearance. And he shows him the alien. <laughs> Get out of my fucking way, basically. <laughs> and so they go in there, show him the unconscious alien. So we also find out that the aliens are attacking other major cities. I remember hearing Atlanta, um, maybe some other cities were, you know, so basically Probably they were Chicago just, would definitely be one. Pro- yes, I think that was. Yeah, right. I actually do remember hearing Chicago as well. Um, so multiple other big cities are getting attacked being blowed up and they've basically are going to do a total annihilation of all major cities within the next 36 hours. Everybody's fucked. Yeah. Uh, Hiller, Hiller particularly is worried about Jasmine because he knows she was in the LA area. We cut to her uh, arriving at the El Toro base, which has been completely destroyed. You know, she's saddened. She has a talk with the first lady, a good line. Dylan, come here. I want you to meet the first lady. Hi. I didn't know that you'd recognized me. Well, I didn't want to say nothing. I voted for the other guy. She says, I didn't want to say anything. I voted for the other guy. So that was, <laughs> I thought that was a pretty damn funny line. Yeah. So at the lab, uh, the scientists work on taking off the exoskeleton suit. It's good. It kind of opens up as a little jump scare for everybody. Uh, they kind of are peeling away some of these gross layers on the inside, but the alien awakens and it invades Brent Spiner's, the doctor's mind. And he's kind of like, you know, just putting him in massive pain and it attacks and kills the other doctors in that lab. The president and the other military guys go down to kind of check in and see this thing. But we get the alien who's kind of speaking through his name is Dr. Okun, Mm -hmm. Brent Spiner, throwing him up against the glass and they have a little conversation here the between the alien and the president through Brent Spiner. No what is it you want us to do? intense like he is basically basically it's a soldier anyway yeah it's a soldier alien so it's, it wouldn't be one that they could really probably talk to you know in any kind of like diplomatic way anyway right we uh see that that alien now starts to try and invade the president's mind uh so the military guy jane adam baldwin takes his gun it's not bulletproof glass and he shoots the shit out of that alien so now that guy's fucking dead <laughs> so good but the president you know when his brain was being invaded uh he saw their plan basically they're going to They've done it before. They're going to invade the Earth. They're going to use up all the resources and move on. That's what these guys do. They're basically a parasite Mm -hmm. type of species. So uh, the president is like, fuck it. Let's nuke the bastards. Uh, We get some background on David and Constance as to why their relationship fell apart. Basically, you know, she got really into her job and whatnot. Hiller goes a little rogue and he takes a helicopter. (laughs) It's kind of a strange thing, but yeah, he just takes it and leaves. Uh, which I would say is very talented to be both a helicopter pilot and a fighter pilot. I agree. You know, usually you specialize, but that does show how good he is. Mm-hmm. And so why he can do the other thing, you know, there we go. A little bit of setup there. Yeah. I don't think it's unheard of. It's just not, mm-hmm. especially for a fighter pilot where they really want you to specialize. 
in that one thing. And yeah, you can go to different ships and that will require different training, but or different jets, excuse me. Yeah, and I'm sure the crossover is not as likely. All right, so the U.S. military does try to nuke a ship that is flying above Houston, but the target is not destroyed. Oh, shit. Even their nukes can't penetrate uh, the shield. Uh, Hiller flies the helicopter to El Toro, who just luckily, they're still there. Uh, The First Lady and Jasmine is there. He perfectly stops exactly where they're at. (laughs) Okay, bit of an extra coincidence there. That's fine. They're reunited. Yay, it's excited. Cut to the president who's reunited with his wife. They're overall back at the Area 51 area now. Unfortunately, she had her injuries were too great. She has some internal bleeding, and so the doctor can't save her. She has one final little moment with her husband and daughter, and she dies. Now it's the 4th of July, and David is drunk, <laughs> which he never <laughs> drinks, and he's kind of upset. Uh, he and his dad have a little talk about... Getting a cold, something like that. Oh, shit. That gives David an idea. He then holds a little demonstration, which he whips up very quickly, um, about trying to get rid of their shields. He wants to give them a computer virus. So he does this little demonstration about shooting at the ship and then also doing it again. And they get it. And so he gave them, you know, he was able to cut off their signal by giving them a computer virus. So their plan is to fly up using the alien ship that they have, go up to space, upload the virus. Hiller says, hey, he thinks he can operate it. He's seen them used, you know, in close combat. So he feels like he knows their maneuvering capabilities. And we know he can fly anything. I do like at the end of their little gung-ho, okay, they're going to go ahead with this plan. David is basically like, you really think you can fly that thing? And Hiller retorts back. You really think you can do all that bullshit you just said? (laughs) Across to communicate with other people people around the world to try and organize this counteroffensive. They're using Morse code, some like older methods, not using the satellites Mm -hmm. uh, that they, you know, know that the aliens are listening to. The whole world is all starting to come together now. And one other little important factor is uh, the president is is basically told, hey, we have enough aircrafts, but we don't have enough pilots right now. Um, A lot of our people have been wiped out. So they're calling out anybody who can fly. And Russell, who we've seen an corrupt duster, kind of steps up and says, I can fly. I'm pilot. Oh, God, he's so good. (laughs) Hiller and Jasmine have a quick little quickie wedding before they leave. Uh, So good for them. We also see that David is wearing his wedding band again. And, you know, he still has his love for Constance. You know, nothing really brings people back together uh, like an alien invasion. (laughs) Exactly. So the president then addresses the pilots. And here we get one of the great speeches in film history, at least one of the great speeches in the last, like, three decades of film, I would say. Yeah. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind, that word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July, and you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. 
but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night, we will not vanish without a fight, we're going to live on, we're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. You get some just great moments. You know, everyone is hyped up by the end of that one, you know, but at the end of his speech, everybody's cheering there. But on my damn couch, I find myself being like, fuck, yeah, fucking kill those aliens. Let's get them. Let's go, world. Like, it's awesome. You know, it just it just really does make you feel damn good. Kind of proud to be an American and just proud to be a human at this point. So, all right. We also see that the president is going to join in because he was a fighter pilot. He knows they need to they need every pilot they can get. Get some emotional goodbyes with David and his dad and with Constance and whatnot. So, uh, but they're about to head out and Hiller being superstitious needs to get those cigars. Luckily, David's dad has them. They take off and they head out and the ship just bolt. Well, it doesn't bolt at first. It goes backwards at first and he <laughs> has to kind of flip the thing. So whoops. Uh, oops. Exactly. Yeah. And then they, uh, then they bolt out and another good Will Smith line. I have got to get me one of these. Here at this point, we also find out that the aliens are headed towards Area 51. Apparently, they have either found out that there's some kind of thing going on over there. So they're going to go kill them. Hiller and David, very quickly, do kind of get up to the mothership. You know, they're working their way in. They use a kind of window shield to cover from being seen. And they work their way, and they upload the virus. And it's all kind of like a go on the attack. So the planes that are up in the air, they send out a missile. It's getting closer and closer, and it hits the shield. Oh, Oh, fuck. But the president, determined, he believes. Everyone else is pulling out. He says, no, fuck this. I'm going closer. And he flies in, and he lets out Fox 2, and he shoots, and it goes, and it goes, and it hits. Fuck yes. Hell yes. We're all excited. Uh, So... Now, uh, I guess it just needed a little minute for that virus to disseminate to all the other ships. So it's a direct hit. Now everybody starts attacking simultaneously. The aliens are also attacking Area 51. And, you know, the little ships are all just kind of blowing everybody up. And it's there's a big old dogfight with everybody. Having a little dogfight fight scene. Everything's going on. They're all trying to attack. Uh, the ship opens up in the center right, as a, right above Area 51. And it's we know it's going to do that big explosion like we've seen before. Unfortunately, everyone seems to be out of missiles because they think a strategic shot in that area might be able to stop it. No one has missiles, John, except for one person. Who is it, Adam? It's a drunk fucking crop duster. (laughs) It's It's Russell. And so they all kind of protect him. Uh, They get him towards that center point, and he's about to fire. And fuck, the missile is jammed. No. No, it's not going to work. He then looks at a picture of his kids on his uh, center console, and he tells the president, Do me a favor. Tell my children I love them very much. And he just has some great lines right here. All right, you alien assholes. In the words of my generation, up and basically something something up yours and he flies straight towards the beam and as it's about to shoot down and kill everyone he is going up to meet it head on and he goes in one of the best fucking lines in the movie hello boys i'm 
it obviously overloads this big weapon or the energy source or whatever the fuck it is, and it blows up the entire fucking uh, ship. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it wrecks it. That's the only thing that I could think was what happened. You know, it's not like it just took out a single cannon. They must have it tied into, like, their whole energy system well, I, for the ship. Well, uh, you know, a, a cannon or a laser or whatever that big probably has to be tied into a major power source. So, yeah, I yeah. can kind of believe that. Yeah, so it'll force it to backfire, and then that they're <laughs> it's just going to massively explode. So they found out how to kill the big ships, uh, but Hiller and David are still trapped in the mothership. They pretty much believe that they're fucked right now, and so they're like, all right, you know, let's just drop the nuke and say goodbye. <laughs> so they light up their cigars. They're going to launch the nuke, and they so they shoot it in there, but they have 30 seconds to get out. But because they shot it, it did end up kind of jostling them out of their little cage thing or the thing that was holding on to their ship. And so they fuck it. They've got 30 seconds. They're going to try and get out of there before the nuke detonates. Yeah. So they're flying and they're flying and they get a great little line here. Shut up. Must go faster. Must go faster. Must go faster. Go, 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 go. Which was used previously in the movie Jurassic Park. Yep. I think that's so cute that they did a little callback there, you know, from, uh, you know, another one of the big, big blockbuster movies of the 90s. And they just kind of throw that back. I thought that was awesome. So they barely escape. The nuke does explode the mothership. So goodbye, mothership. That's fucking awesome. People around the world are rejoicing. It is massive victory. The alien ships are being taken down. It's awesome. Um, there's something on the radar for people on earth. It's Hiller and David. They've landed in the desert and they're walking like they're strutting like across that desert. Did you notice like they're just like having a big fucking like victory walk and you got to they've earned it. Yep. Their ladies run to them. Big kiss. It's a massive victory for mankind. And it's the end of Independence Day. Does anything make you feel more patriotic? Man, it really does. And I, I want you to tell me, you know, tell me your thoughts of rewatching this movie. Uh, and maybe what's the last time? And actually, I guess one thing we didn't bring up was, you know, what do you remember about this movie when you were a kid? I I want to say we probably saw it in the theaters. This is a movie that I see fairly regularly. I mean, it always shows up on like TNT or something like that. It does, and I will tend to watch it from time if I got nothing else on. So, like, this is not a movie that I, you know, it's been a while since I've seen. I probably saw this. In fact, I know for a fact we showed this movie to our kids just a few months ago during the pandemic. Oh, we got cool. into a, a, um, a string of just showing them all kinds of movies and stuff like that, and this was one of them. So it's it's still such a good movie. Uh, I love it. I, it's kind of hard to, to quantify, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of those extra fun movies that gets you pumped by the end of it. Um, it's sweet. It's a little sad with the you know Randy Quaid's character kind of sacrificing yeah. him at the end. But, man, that God, at the end of that speech just makes you want to get up and just do shit. I'm not like a big proponent of like the military. Not a, I don't. I'm not against the military, right. but like I'm not joining anytime soon. And after that, it's like fucking sign me up, bro. <laughs> I'm ready to go to to be all that I can be. Yeah. How old are you now? I am 35. Okay. And way too fat. They would never accept. <laughs> I was me. just say I. There's a cutoff, and I'm pretty sure you're at it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure there's a weight cutoff, and I'm sure there's an intelligence cutoff, and I don't think I fit anything. <laughs> this film, in my opinion, it's not just a good movie it's a fucking great movie and i would say it really exemplifies its style and exemplifies you know its genre which is a blockbuster done right Mm -hmm. this is just a well done block 
blockbuster movie. The pacing is incredibly fast early on, especially when you're trying to get, you know, go from scene to scene because you're meeting a lot of different characters. And so you get quick scene of this person, quick scene of that person. And so it seems very fast early on. But then eventually all of those storylines kind of converge together eventually at like Area 51. And it's, you know, and it makes sense. It's got good flow to it. You know, that, but that, that speed and that pacing, Hill, it's a two-hour and 24-minute film. That's one of the longest movies we've done so far. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it really feels like it. No. Because it moves quick. Yeah. So, and it's a feel-good movie. Um, it's hard not to come out of this one and not feel a little bit better about humanity, a little bit better about, you know, even the U.S., a better about just everything. The score's great. The acting's great. The cast is awesome. It's not a perfect film, fuck no, but it's a hell of a blockbuster. The graphics are solid. I think this movie is worth watching damn near every 4th of July if you want to. Yeah. Go check your TV. It's probably on right now. I I don't doubt it. It's fucking awesome. All right, now we're going to talk something on the other side of the quality spectrum, and we are going to be talking (laughs) the greatest American hero. America. It aired... 1981 to 1983 on ABC for three seasons, 45 episodes. Give me a minute here, John. Okay. It was created by Stephen J. Cannell, or Cannell, not sure how he pronounces it. This guy created a fuck ton of TV shows. Fuck ton. Bunch of them you've never heard of because they had like a, a half season run, like, you know, 12, 13 episodes, and that was it. And a lot of those, I'm going to mention them right now. Chase or The Chase, uh, City of Angels, not that kind of City of mm. Angels, Black Sheep Squadron, Richie Brockman, Brockelman Private Eye, Ten Speed and Brown Shoe, The Last Precinct, The Rousters, Stingray, J.J. Starbuck, Booker, Wise Guy, Palace Guard, The Hat Squad, Hardcastle and McCormick, Cobra, uh, Renegade, Riptide, and now here are some ones that you'll definitely have heard of. He's cre- Again, he created all of these. Beretta, which was a cop show, mm-hmm. The Rockford Files, yep. The Commish, Silk Stockings, if you remember that one. Oh, yeah. The A-Team. Nice. And 21 Jump Street. So nice. a lot of co- a lot of cop-based ones. I definitely remembered Hardcastle and McCormick. Okay, yeah, I saw you kind of nod at that one. And that one did have, a, I think, quite a bit of episodes when I remember seeing it. Yeah, the one of the actors on there I recognized. I think one of the actors on Hardcastle and McCormick was the guy who played the dad. In, oh, no, no. Is that... Am I thinking the same? There's two actors around that time who I always get uh, conflated with each other, um, and I keep thinking that he's the guy from Major Dad, and I'm not sure if I, if it's the same guy. Oh, I'm looking at Hardcastle McCormick. It does not no. look like him. No, I'm thinking there's a different show that that guy is in that okay. I'm conflating with, and I always think that it's Hardcastle McCormick. But gotcha, okay. man. I did like us some Major Dad though. That was a good show. That was, and it's one I'm curious if I went back, would it hold up at all? We will have to put it on there. Maybe next year's 4th of July episode or something. Or it yeah. doesn't need or to be. But maybe one around uh, Veterans Day or something. Oh, that's a good call. Good yeah. call. So, All right. The cast of The Greatest American Hero. Uh, Ralph Hinckley was played by William Catt. He was uh, more recently in the movie called The Man from Earth. But besides this, some people might recognize him from the film Carrie. But we've already talked about William Catt. Did we? We did. In your favorite movie of all time. Oh, God. I for- oh, yeah. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot that, yes, of course he's in that. His hair. His golden, <laughs> curly hair. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, in Baby Secret of the Lost Legend. I, yep. I don't know why I did not pull that out and see that. Um, I guess the movie just a blind spot for me now. Even my brain <laughs> refuses to take a look at and, and, and see those words together. Uh, Bill Maxwell is played by Robert Culp, who is in a show called I Spy, also another show called Hickey and Boggs. Um, ones I didn't really know, but long enough, they ran long enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Pam Davison was played by Connie Selica. A uh, bunch of small parts and different things. There was a show called Hotel that she was on for like 100-something episodes or whatever. Hmm. I didn't know. It looked like maybe a soap opera thing or something. I'm not really sure. Okay. The show started off as a two-hour pilot. Did you watch the pilot? I watched some of the pilot. Okay. <laughs> All right. I mean, who the hell is going to watch two hours? I'm sure it's shit not for this. Is this a show that you remember at all? It is definitely a show I remember. It is definitely not a show that I remember being a huge part of my TV rotation. Um, I probably watched it when I was super young. So this would have been reruns in the 80s, you know, probably 7, 8, 9, maybe 10. Uh, If it happened to be on, I would watch an episode or two. Um, I don't remember it being something that I was just deeply in love with. It's just a show that I was like, oh, superhero of some kind. And I probably found it mildly funny at the time because mm-hmm. I was a kid and, you know, there's a lot of kind of physical antics that go along with this. Yeah. Yeah. I, sure. And uh, other than the one good part of the show, which I'm sure you'll bring up later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about it now because you're right. It's the one good part of the show which is the theme song. Believe it or not, it's classic. It's kind of cheesy. It feels very dated now. The theme song. I totally disagree. But go ahead. Oh, really? You think it? You think it? It stands the test of time. Uh, well, it made my top ten '80s TV theme songs. True. True. I think it's. A, I think it's a great song. I find it not. It's, it just doesn't. It hits me like okay, yeah, you're perfect for the late '70s. Outside of that, you know, it's just there's a too much of a dated factor for me. Okay. But the song was popular enough to hit number two on the Billboard Hot 100. Yeah. Like, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. You know what didn't hit number two on the on the, on the the Billboard Top 100? What? Theme song to Seinfeld. <laughs> no, but they did use this song as a little parody uh, for George's answering machine on Seinfeld. Believe it or not, George isn't at home. Please leave a message at the beep. I must be out, or I'd pick up the phone. Where could I be? <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm not home. 
Yes, I know. Could you bring it up every time the theme song from this show is mentioned? So I played, You could, honestly, I feel like most people in my generation have no idea what the fuck this theme song is other than, oh, it's that thing that, that George sings. I disagree. I think yeah. it's. Uh, I think the majority of people, even in your kind of age range, actually do remember this being the theme know. song. I don't know. I. I just. This show had no impact to me, and I feel like it had no impact to a lot of the people around my age. But Seinfeld did, so that's just my thought. Uh, anyway, all right. That theme song was written by Joey Scarberry. He also had a number forty-nine and a number seventy-three. Billboard Hot 100 hits, uh, but nothing as memorable as this theme song. So yeah. uh, the music in the show itself was done by Pete Carpenter and Mike Post. Pete Carpenter did music for shows like The A-Team, mm-hmm. uh, Magnum P.I., Rockford Files, Hunter, and The Andy Griffith Show. Mike Post, we've actually talked about before because he did shows like Doogie Hauser, And we've already mentioned his big long list of ones like Law & Order, NYPD Blue, L.A. Law, uh, Hill Street Blues, also Magna P.I., and just tons of stuff. Yeah. Um, all right, so the premise of this show, he's a school teacher, and these aliens give him this uh, red and black suit that grants him superhuman abilities, but unfortunately for him, he immediately loses the instruction booklet, oh no, <laughs> uh, and thus has to learn the powers by trial and error, often with comical results. <laughs> Cringe, John. I got through... I I didn't even get through one episode. <laughs> I didn't. It's so fucking bad. I got th- I got I got through the pilot up to the point where he gets the suit. Then I decided, okay, I want to see a regular episode. Uh-huh. So then I looked up, you know, what's the best episode, which I did too on IMDb. I checked yeah. IMDb one. And so then I I watched that one and I got about through half of it. Yes. And I was like this is as much as I need to see. That was exactly what I did. I was like, I didn't want to watch the pilot because it was a fucking movie. Yeah. Um, but so I went to IMDb and I looked up the best one and it was season one, episode six, if I remember. That was the one I watched too. <laughs> and so I watched it and I started it and then I started just skipping ahead. And I was like, all right, I'm skipping. I jumped like five minutes. I was like, all right, maybe it'll be better here. And then I was like, oh, okay, I watched a little <laughs> bit there and then I jumped another five minutes. This show is so fucking slow it is it really is it it just dragged on it's an hour-long show there is no need for this to be an hour-long show yeah i agree with the comical elements which obviously anytime he's flying hell he like crashed every time he was flying like (laughs) that was a whole part of the thing oh he can't figure out how to fly but like you know by multiple times shouldn't he figure out how to land properly (laughs) i don't i feel like by episode six he should be okay Never, never mind three whole seasons. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm sure still in season three, he still was having that wacky dropping it. You know, he couldn't land properly. The graphics, though, you have to, I mean, I know it's TV and I know it's this, the early 80s, but it looked like trash. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. Maybe I just hate William Cat, and I hate <laughs> William Cat's, uh, you know, anything that he's in because... Between this and Baby, he has dropped severely on my favorite actors list, which he was you know, never close anyway. But all right, one one little bit of interesting trivia about the show. So the lead character is named Ralph Hinckley, and I can't remember. Oh, I mentioned this on the thing Throwback Trivia. I actually had a question about this. Mm-hmm. Um, they changed his last name Hinckley to Hanley uh, for the latter part of the first season. 
because, oh, there's that little-known guy, John Hinckley Jr., who tried to assassinate President Ronald Reagan. (laughs) And so they wanted to distance themselves from Hinckley's name, uh, and so they they changed his last name. But then after a few months passed, they, they used Hanley, and then they went back to Hinckley. Um, I'll start us off as I've mostly said what I thoughts are <laughs> knowing that this was the highest rated episode and I couldn't, I couldn't watch more than at most. Yeah. Half of the episode total is I'm sure less than that. Just holy fuck. This is not <laughs> a good show. The theme song is far and away the best part of it mm-hmm. for me, especially because it makes me think of Seinfeld and that's a good thing <laughs> for me. I'll take it. I'll take yeah, it. Yeah. So I absolutely cannot stand the fact that it was an hour-long show. It needed to be 30 minutes. I don't understand what the hell they were thinking. Obviously, they just needed to fill some extra time. I fucking hated every second of watching this show other than just being nostalgic for Seinfeld. So I am not a fan. One of probably one of the worst TV shows we've talked about. And we've actually had some really bad TV shows. Uh, Yeah. Did I put this show on the docket? Just so I could talk about the theme song? Perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps. I'm trying to think of, like, what else would have fit, though. I I was trying to think, like, you know, because we're doing a patriotic, you know, American episode. And what other show would have worked? And this does make the most sense, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 I'd been looking for a place to put it. And I was like, you know what? America, it's going in. (laughs) Um, I knew it wasn't going to be great. I was actually kind of dreading going over it. It It's a good thing it was uh, on Tubi for free. Yes, that helped. Yes. And yeah, it was actually worse than I remembered it being. So, um, but, you know, I, I do have a kind of a fond memory of liking it when I was a kid. You know, granted, I was probably not a very intelligent kid. And th- but then again, also, my TV options back in like 1987, 1988 were limited. Yeah, it's not great. You really don't need to go watch it. If you, if you want to have any kind of nostalgia for it, don't even bother going to look it up to hear the theme song. Just find the theme song on YouTube. And then go watch Seinfeld. Yeah, there you go. This episode of the Blast From Our Past podcast is not brought to you by... Independence Day. We've got company, and they're getting ugly. Massive, nasty aliens. Bursting skulls reveal their secret power. Now they plan to pound Earth's heroes with awesome tentacle attack. Time for the big payback. Levinson cams the radar, and Whitmore delivers the final blow. ID4, get off our planet. ID4, Independence Day, each with computer mission disc. Collect them all. All right, now let's do the casting portion of the show. As we mentioned at the top, we are going to recast Independence Day using actors of today. Now, this is definitely not a movie that I think I would want to recast. Yeah, agreed. It doesn't need uh, it. Just rewatch the original. Yeah. But that's not what we do here on Blast from Our Past podcast. <laughs> Hell no. We like pissing people off. Which I don't really think we piss off our listeners. Really, what would happen is back when we used to post our castings on Instagram, we would piss people off who never bothered to listen to the episodes yeah. and just were reacting to the thing that we had just posted. 
Yeah, that is such a an Instagram or Reddity kind of thing to do. Like, yeah. honestly, we were just trying to promote the podcast. Go check it out. And people are like, "Ooh, why would you recast this? Don't cast." Uh, you know, we would put like, "Oh, I put this person. You put that person." You know, who do you like better? And they'd be like, "Not neither. You should just not recast that movie." And it's like, "Oh, fuck off." God damn it. I hate, it just makes you hate people. <laughs> All right. So we are going to uh, recast Captain Hiller, David, President Whitmore, Julius, uh, Constance Spano, Marilyn Whitmore, Russell Case, and Jasmine. And I don't know why I forgot to put uh, what's his name on the list. I should have. Eric Connick Jr.'s character. But oh, yeah. Eh. I should have put him on there, but I forgot. Oh, well. What's you going to do? He dies anyway. It's true. Well, so does the First Lady, and I put her on the list. True. <laughs> And so does Russell. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but Russell plays a pretty pivotal part. Mm-hmm. Goes out like a champ. Yeah. Uh, let's start with Jasmine, which was the girlfriend of our main protagonist, I guess. You know what? I have to say, they did a pretty good job of giving us two main protagonists and giving them equal time on screen. Yes. You know, nowadays, it's it's... Tough to think that, you know, Will Smith would split that much time. Now, granted, I guess he did with um, eh, Suicide Squad, but he was definitely the lead on Suicide Squad yeah. with all the rest of the ensemble. Um, but, like, this was very much a good ensemble cast. I mean, without question, Hiller and David split a good bit of the time. It was like an even, even split. And then even President Whitmore, like, a, got a good chunk in there as well. So, yeah, this was um, this was a well-multiple-led film. Yeah. Uh, all right, so Jasmine, I will go ahead and put out uh, my casting. I went with uh, an actress who's been on a who was on a show that came out last year, and I think it was one of the greatest shows of the year. Came out on HBO, and that was Lovecraft Country, and You've... I went with uh, Journey Smollett. Yeah, you've referenced that show before, mm-hmm. and I still haven't seen it yet. It is worth a watch. Okay, I've definitely seen her before, probably from just like the ads in Lovecraft. Oh, yeah, she's Birds of Prey. That's right. She's Black Canary. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm cool with that. I haven't seen that movie either. Um, very attractive lady. Birds. Of, you haven't seen Birds of Prey? No. You know what? It wasn't as bad as people made it out to be. It really yeah. wasn't. It was not, you know... You know, it wasn't like, you know, MCU level, but it was fun. It was a fun, fun ride. Michael Kenneth Williams is in Lovecraft Country. That might, that might get me up to watch that one. He played Omar in The Wire. Loved him as Omar. Um, That might, that might really. I'm trying to remember what is that, who he played here. Uh, Well, I know. Oh, yeah. Michael Kenneth Williams. Yeah. 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 You're, you'll like. Okay. You'll like it. Cool. Cool. Well, good. I mean, either way, I think that's a good acting choice. She's uh, she's definitely she's been in some big stuff, and mm-hmm. I think uh, it's a solid pick. All right, who did you go with? All right, I went with. Um, I was looking around. Unfortunately, she's not she's not American, and I felt for the fourth for the Independence Day movie, I needed to pick an American. <laughs> but then I said, ah, fuck it. This lady is absolutely gorgeous. She hasn't been in. She was actually in a movie with Will Smith, uh, the Concussion movie, uh, back in 2015. Mm. Um, but more recently, John. If you're keeping up with Loki, you might recognize her from that one as she is playing uh, Ravana Renslayer or Ravona Renslayer in that one. Um, She also was in multiple episodes of uh, Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Mm. Um, She did the voice of Celadon. I don't I didn't see the show, but maybe I won't recognize it by name. Fair enough. But her name is Gugu Mbatha-Raw. 
and she is absolutely stunning, and I think I wouldn't mind seeing her as a stripper. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. She plays like the judge or whatever. Yes, exactly. Loki. She's the judge in Loki. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm all for that. Very attractive. Yeah, she's beautiful. And, and a good actress. Yes. Cool. All right, I'm all for that. All right. You know what? Uh, let's push Russell towards okay. closer to the end. Sure. Uh, let's go to the first lady. Sure. Marilyn Whitmore. Uh, who did you go with? Yeah, you got to have somebody who has an air of prestige about them. Mm-hmm. You know, definitely someone who you feel, yeah, who would do um, I don't know, a good job leading and have diplomacy or, you know, all that kind of stuff. She's, you know, she was more action-y stuff back in the day, but as she's gotten older, I think she's very dignified with um, her look, and I think she would fit very well as a first lady type. I went with Jennifer Garner as my Marilyn Whitmore. Okay. Yeah, I can totally see that. Okay, cool. That's a almost perfect one-to-one kind of. It, I, I, actually, my entire casting, I pretty much stuck to one-to-one. Okay, that's fair. I did not stick with okay. the one-to-one. And here okay. I'm going to deviate. Uh, my Marilyn Whitmore is going to be a Marco Whitmore. Okay. It's going to be a first husband. Now, I... Kind of felt like almost anyone could go into this role. Yeah. So I decided on a guy who uh, has been doing a lot of leading stuff, but I think this would be a fun little thing for him. Uh, I went with Oscar Isaac. Okay. Big name. It's good Big stuff. Name. But I think he, he, also, I was looking to diversify a little bit in some yeah, cases. So I respect that. Um, I've seen, you know, he can do kind of side character roles really well too. Yeah. I don't, I don't shit down Oscar Isaac. I'm excited to see what he does with Moon Knight. Um, I, you know, yeah. I liked him with a lot of stuff. So, uh, I, you know what I really want to watch and I haven't, is that Coen brothers film inside Lewin Davis. And he's the lead in that one. And there's a lot of songs in that movie. And I heard he has got a really good voice. Huh. Um, it's him, Karen, Carrie Mulligan, John Goodman, Garrett Hedlund's in that too. And Justin Timberlake. Yeah. I've heard really good things about the movie. And I think it's kind of, you know, them going back to some, you know, with the Oh Brother Art Thou, they do a lot of music. Right. Um, and this is not quite that same style, but at least they, they do a lot of music with it. So I, I definitely want to check it out. So. Okay, cool. Uh, all right. Let's go to, you know, let's jump up to Julius Levinson. Okay. All right. So my Julius Levinson um, was dictated by who I picked for my David. Mm-hmm. I think that you will, I'm hoping, like who I picked because he is a Seinfeld veteran. Ooh. Uh, I went with Brian George. Oh, fuck yes, Babu Bhatt. Another awesome character actor, just kind of guy. Yeah, I I fucking love Brian George. That's great. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. You're doing a great job of diversifying. I stuck very (laughs) one-to-one with mine, and I even kind of stuck with a kind of a a Jewish um, actor. Uh, I'm pretty sure this guy is Jewish, but I like. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Brian George is great. Okay, so mine much more one-to-one. I went with Dustin Hoffman. Really good actor. He would. He's good comedic stuff. (laughs) I'm laughing because that is a. That's a. That's a. It's about a spot-on choice. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good one-to-one. I'm pretty sure he's Jewish, and I think it just fits. Pretty, pretty pretty damn well with my other stuff. So yeah. How old is he? He's got. I, he is always older than I think he is. Yeah. <laughs> True. Where was he? Thirty-seven. Wow. Or the nineteen thirty-seven. That's when he was born. Yeah. Oh wow. So he's what's that? Eighty-eighty-four. Yeah. <laughs> he's in his eighties now. Yeah. Is he still acting? 
He's still working. Okay, cool. Then that that works. His last he's he's got some stuff in in he's filming something and his last thing was in 2019. Okay. So, yeah. Uh all right. Now let's go to Constance. Constance Spano, uh who was the the love interest of David Levinson and who did you go with? So, I stuck uh you know, yeah, very very one-to-one with my stuff. I went with an actress who is definitely had a crush on her. Um, she didn't make my top 90s crushes. I don't remember. She, You know what? She might have. I'd have to go back through the list, but she is just absolutely stunning. And she, uh, she played a, I think it was a Russian double agent for a good while on the show The Americans. I think she would be an awesome constant. She's just a good actress. I went with Carrie Russell. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I feel another pretty spot-on one-to-one. Have you watched The Americans? I have not, but I've heard awesome things about okay, it. Okay, because that's one I feel like I want to try and get into. Mm-hmm. We just finished up. I I don't know about you. I have I have a hard time sometimes getting into new TV shows. Sometimes sometimes I'm I'm eager to try something new, and sometimes I just want to go back to my old reliables. Yeah, and I, it's a hard balance. We we just finished up watching this TV show, The Expanse. Okay. Uh, which we really loved. It was on Amazon Prime. And then now we're now we're into um, Sweet Tooth. Oh, I, I, I want to check that out. It's very funky, interesting. It, it's a very interesting concept, but so far it's been pretty good. I forgot that Carrie Russell was in The Rise of Skywalker. With, uh, she played like a, it looked like a bounty hunter kind of person. Oh, eh. What's she going to yeah. do? I mean, I think it's cool. Yeah. All right, anyway. All right, so... My Constance is going to be whatever the male equivalent of Constance is. I'm not sure I didn't think of yeah. that ahead of time. Because um, as I said, I flipped a few things. Um, and so this is kind of a reflection of that. Um, I thought about going different ways with this. But I ultimately, I decided on this. I went with Zach Braff. Okay. He's funny. I mean, I don't really see him doing uh, like I, – I like Zach Braff. I, I, it's tough for me to not see his goofy side most of the That's time. That's true, but I, I think, I mean, at this point, you know, we're almost a decade removed from Oh yeah, yeah. From Scrubs. So true. he's definitely matured, and he's done a lot more serious things since then. Mm-hmm. Not that this is essentially a serious movie, but I thought he was a good sort of male version. He could play a good male version of that character. So sure, I'll allow it. I like, I like Zapraff, so I'm going to, I'm not going to, Fight against that one. Okay. All right. Well, let's go. Let's let's go ahead and do Russell. Okay. Let's go ahead and do Russell. Who did you pick? I again stuck with like some one to one people. Um, I originally wanted John C. Riley because he's good at playing crazy characters, but he's a little older than I think mm-hmm. I would want. So I went with a guy who's a little bit younger, and he definitely plays some crazy guys, particularly on a show I love called Eastbound and Down. He played an alcoholic, just dumbass, and I loved him for it. I went with Danny McBride. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He could probably play a wacko pretty easily. Yep. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Okay. Sorry, yeah. I don't have much more to say. No, that's okay. I like Danny McBride. He definitely can do some crazy shit and just be be that ridiculous. He'd have his own little spin on it, um, but I think it'd be, he'd be solid. Well, if you thought uh, John C. Riley was too old, then you're not going to like who I picked because my guy is actually older. Okay. But uh, this is uh, an actor who is probably most well known for his 
kind of serious stuff. And some people forget that he actually got his start doing comedies. And I really think he could bring the wackiness. I went with Michael Keaton. Okay. Michael Keaton, I think, actually doesn't look as old as John C. Riley. as weird as that sounds. <laughs> okay. He's like 15 years older, though. Oh, uh, then maybe. Maybe he does. I don't know. Yes, he was born. Was he born in uh, 1950 then? 1951, I think. Wow. And John C. Riley was born in 65. Okay. Interesting. He definitely, yes, people forget about his comic past, the Mr. Mom, the multiplicity. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, very comical. Interesting. I mean, he could definitely do it. He's a okay. he's an awesome actor, and I'm sure he could do it well. I I will take your apathy. Okay. <laughs> I, I like my call better, but. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, let's jump to President Whitmore. This is another one. So this is someone who's got to give the, an impassioned speech. There are a lot of good actors who could do this. And so I went with someone who I really like, is doing a lot of good things nowadays, mostly actually in production behind the camera. But she'll much much like you use someone off of your crushes list, I, I can't remember if she was on my crushes list or not, but she should be. I went with Lucy Liu. Oh, uh, I can't remember. She might have been. If she yeah. wasn't on my 90s crushes list, I've definitely talked about her enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have. Uh, I think. I mean, I I think that's a cool call. I think it's something different. I'd like to see Lucy Liu for president. Man, I'm all for that. I'd yeah. I'd vote her in right now. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. I I like the the different choices. I'm cool with that. Okay. All right. Well, then who did you go with? I stuck to my one to one, and I picked a white male, um, <laughs> and it's somebody who I think you know has the regal, no, not regal, but the presidential look to him. Um, he was kind of a douche businessman, but I think he could go, do a good job with a speech. I went with John Hamm. Yeah, I can totally see that. That is a that's a that's a good one to one. Okay, cool. I'm totally cool with that. Awesome. Uh, uh, all right, David, David Levinson. Who did you go with? Jeff Goldblum kind of plays playing like this nerdy dude, and we've seen this other guy who's done some comical stuff. Uh, recently in some really big films, and he also kind of plays a fairly nerdy guy. It makes a lot of sense. I went with Bruce Banner, Mark Ruffalo, as my David Levison. That's a good call. That's a yeah. really good call. Uh, that, hey. I don't know why he never crossed my mind, but you know what? I like that. Yeah, him and, and you know, yeah, Dustin Hoffman kind of as his dad, they, they kind of fit, I feel, like they would work, have a good dynamic. Um, so, well, yeah. I, do, I like that. I like that pairing. I do okay. like that pairing. That would be really good. Cool. That's good. So this is my last uh, one that was flipped. So if you're keeping track, uh, I made the president um, and my David are women. Mm-hmm. So the president had has the first husband in this case, and then the love interest was Zach Braff. Mm-hmm. So that's where the that's where all the flips happened. Yes, in case you're having trouble keeping up, I kind of I picked this one. She's not as she's not an action star by any means, but um, I wanted to make some changes, and ultimately, I picked her, and then I picked Brian George, and then I really liked having Brian George there, so I re- I refused to change my my David, and I after I was like, well, maybe I could pick someone else, so I just stuck with it. I went with Mindy Kaling. Okay, I can see that. Uh, she could, I bet she could play nerd. Yeah, that yeah. was that was a thing. Um, I initially I was like, oh, I could go with like Sophia Batella, and then I was like, no, she's too good looking. 
Yeah. <laughs> Which is a horrible thing to say because Mindy Kaling is a good looking person. Yeah, um, but yeah. And and she's too like badass to be the nerd. Yeah, Sophia Patel, I agree. Yeah. So I Very think Mindy so. Kaling can fit the that set yeah. well. Uh, I I can see that. That's fitting. All right. Uh Captain Hiller. I've I I, I want to know if maybe we went with the same one. Take one guess who I put in. <laughs> Take one fucking guess and you're going to get I'm it. I'm going to guess it's the same person that I put in because it was the first person I thought about and I was like, "Eh, he's he, he was he's the perfect he's the I perfect tried one. not to, man. I know. I tried not I to. Know. I know. But I couldn't. No one's better. I mean, how could you not choose Kevin Hart? He's <laughs> oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm kidding. I went with Michael B. Jordan. His his foot his feet wouldn't be able to reach the uh, pedals <laughs> the of the pedals. fighter jet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I went uh, with Michael B. Jordan. Of course, I also went with Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's got a new movie coming out that I'm like, part of me wants to see it, and the other part of me is like, ah, it looks like a lot of other political action thriller stuff I've seen before. And so, uh, so, but in yours, here he's playing a gay character, right? No. Who is your Constance? Constance is not with Hiller. Constance, it, Jasmine is. Oh, with Oh yeah, Jasmine's with Hiller. I, I'm, I'm all. You got me all <laughs> kind of messed up in my head of who's with who. What are you doing? How are you changing things? Okay, that's right. The yes, president was, and his wife, and David and his girlfriend are the ones that are flipped. Okay. All right. I did think about that though. I actually did consider That's, doing some of that yeah. stuff, but I ended up. I just ended up going. I was like, you know, I'm just going to go with whoever I think works the best in the role. Yeah, okay, fair enough. So, all right, and and Michael B. Jordan is 100 percent the right actor yes. for this role. He's he's the only actor. Yep. I'm sorry. He's the only that, actor for this role. And that's why it sounds like we both had the same thing where he was one of the first people I put in. Like, I kind of usually will throw in some names I consider and then I'll kind of do more research. And I put that name and I couldn't think of anyone else who would be better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. It just it, it has to be him. By far the most cast actor yeah. on Blast From Our Past. Uh, his agent should really try and find us a job as casting in Hollywood because yeah, we would put exact- him in everything. We will get him money. <laughs> All right. So overall, I think some decent cast. I think we both agree the movie itself is great. Doesn't need mm-hmm. to be redone. But this is it's a fun little thought experiment. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm since you haven't seen it, I'm actually looking forward to uh, this month's Patreon to find out uh, what you think of the sequel. Yeah. Very cool. All right, folks, and that was our recasting of Independence Day. Please join us next time for another album review. John and I go over one of our favorite grunge albums of all time, and we are going to be talking Soundgarden's Super Unknown. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. 
We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. <laughs>